0: For the month of September here at Cokesbury, we've been trying to keep things simple, when of course though, when in church is anything simple, when in our lives is anything simple. We've tried, we've tried every week this month to bring some simplicity in the midst of all of our complexities. And the whole series have been focused, has been focused on the materially simple life that Jesus lived and taught and exemplified. And every week we've had a challenge that accompanied us when we left from worship. The first week, the simple topic was time. And the challenge was to be grateful for our time, to take time every day to write down one thing that happened to us for which we were grateful. The second week, the topic was possessions. And the challenge was to go home and to get rid of some of our junk. To go through a shelf or a drawer and clean it out. The third week was money. And we talked about budgets, to be mindful of the money we earn, the money we spend, the money we save, and the money we give away. Last week, the subject was prayer, and we talked about taking time every day to start our day in prayer, end our day in prayer. Today, we end this series, No More Homework After Today. The subject is food. Food, glorious food. So, Jesus said, Do you love me, Peter? And Peter replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, it feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago that I had my very first Sunday here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church. My very first Sunday. I had served a church for four years in the Shenandoah Valley, in the Stand, Virginia. And I had my final Sunday with them, and then my next Sunday I was here with all of you. I didn't know anybody here that first Sunday. I had met and had a few conversations with some of you. I didn't remember any of your names. And that day felt like such a whirlwind. There was so much emotion, there were so many things tied up in that day, and I remember putting on my robe and getting ready to walk down the stairs, and Louise, who's down here by the sound system, Louise said, hey, by the way, Taylor, I don't know if anyone told you that Mary Jane Pfizer, our longtime organist, has retired. I said, oh, well, I'm so grateful for her service. Who else will play the organ for us today? And Louise said, um, we don't have anybody else who can play the organ. I said, oh, Okay. Who might play the piano for us today in worship? And she said, we don't have anyone who can play the piano this morning. I said, what CDs might we have to play so that we can sing along to the music? And she said, we do not yet have CDs to sing along to. I said, oh, so please, what you're telling me is that I need to sing and lead the congregation in our three hymns on my very first Sunday. And she said, amen. So I came down here, and I thought I was going to blow a gasket. Not only did I have the nerves around worship, the nerves of preaching, I had to also stand and say, turn to hymn number 345, join me in the singing of the following hymn. I don't really remember anything else. That's it. There was one little brief moment I do remember. I was worried, because I had invited all the children to come forward for the children's message, and I had a joke in my head, and I didn't know how it was going to land. So I had all the children gathered here with me, and my son Elijah was on my arm, and I said, friends, you are my favorite people in this church, because I am closer in age to all of you than the rest of these people. (laughs) And for a brief moment, no one laughed. (laughs) Hanging there in the air was this tepid silence, and in that silence, I heard the bishop calling me, you cannot stay in this church. (laughs) So I ate the joke, and then finally that silence turned into cacophonous laughter, and I thought, These are my people. I'll stay here. This is going to be good. I don't remember anything else about worship. It's really a blur. If you ask me what the text was, I couldn't tell you. If you ask me what the sermon was, I have to pull it out of my drawer. I don't remember. It was so much of a whirlwind. So much so that I felt like I blinked, and I was here, and then I was upstairs in the fellowship hall. Because we had had everyone gathered together for a meal. So not only did we want to worship together, we wanted to have a meal together, we wanted to break bread, so that you could ask me 3,000 questions. <laughs> so I blinked, and I found myself upstairs at a table with my wife and my son, and somebody, it was Eunice Bonner, who's upstairs right now, elbowed me in my ribs, and she said, Remember, you're the pastor, you need to pray before we can eat. And so I stood up, Well, oh, there's Eunice right there. <laughs> And so I stood up to pray, and I don't quite remember what I said, but I'm sure it was something like, Lord, bless this food that it might nourish our bodies, and our bodies to your service. We are grateful for the land that it came from, the lives that were sacrificed for it. Help us, O Lord, to be mindful of those who do not have a meal like this, or friends like these. Amen. And then you asked me 3,000 questions. And at the very end, when we finally said, it's time to go home, I said, thanks be to God. And someone came up to me. And for the life of me, I cannot remember who it was. I know it was a woman. She came up to me and she said, I have one last question. I thought, of course, you have one last question. <laughs> what might it be? And she said, are you going to pray like that every time we have a meal? I said, what do you mean? Am I gonna, did, I, did I forget to thank God for the food? How could I have messed up the prayer? I said, what do you mean am I going to pray like that every time we have a meal? And she said, I really don't like thinking about things having to die so that I can eat. I said, ma'am, we cannot eat unless something dies. That's the kind of the whole point. And she said, well, I know, but I don't want to have to think about it. <laughs> I don't want to have to think about it. When we eat... When we eat, we are doing something remarkably profound. It is always more than just satiating the hunger in our bellies. It is always more than just moving our mandibles to chew. It is always more than just a necessity. For us to eat, others have to die. But many of us, including that woman on my first Sunday, we don't like confronting the profound reality of our eating and our food. We've grown very comfortable with this ultra-commodified version of eating whereby we can get anything we want whenever we want it. We don't have to think twice about where our food came from or what it took to get to us. But food is important. Not only because without it we die, but because our food, how we eat it, what we eat, says so much about who we are, what we believe, and what we value. Every religious system in the world has some sort of ritual or rule or expectation about food. In Buddhism, vegetarian diets are desired. In Hinduism, beef is prohibited. In Islam and Judaism, the consumption of pork is not allowed. And in Christianity, we say the bread that we eat is the body of Christ. Food it is so important. And yet here, where we live, in our country, our connection with and to our food has all but lost its sacredness. Check this out. 20% of all American meals are eaten in a car. It's funny, Pam. It's also really sad. Think about that for just a moment. 20% of all meals are eaten in a car. That means, as the average Americans we are, that every other day one of your meals is eaten in a car. Every other day. And the overwhelming majority of those meals are eaten alone. 20% of all meals are eaten in a car. Or this. One out of every five children will go hungry this year. That means multiple days without eating a scrap of food. One out of every five children in our country. And among black and Latino kids, it's one out of every three. One out of every three will go hungry this year. Multiple days without eating a scrap of food. And this. This is the worst statistic of all. Somehow, we as Americans throw away 40% of our food every year. A waste of $165 billion every year. We throw away nearly half of our food. So imagine you can. The last time you went to the supermarket, imagine that shopping cart full of stuff. Four out of every ten items we throw away. 40% of our food is wasted. We have such little respect for the food we eat and apparently for the food we don't eat that we don't even think about what we eat. And those who hold all the power, the economic power in food distribution, they have convinced us that we should prefer food that has already been prepared for us. There are countless companies that will grow and deliver and cook our food for us just like our mothers used to do and then convince us to eat it that they do not yet offer to insert it pre-chewed into our mouths is only because they haven't figured out how that can make them any money. Food is theologically and biologically essential, and yet it is just another chore on our never-ending to-do list. And with every passing year, our kitchens more and more resemble gas stations, and our homes more and more resemble motels. Eating. Eating food is one of the most basic and primal and simple things we can ever do in which we learn about the goodness of God's creation. Eating, eating food with other people is without a doubt one of the most important and spiritual things we can ever do because it destroys the barriers between us. Friends, we are what we eat. Or perhaps better put, we are consumed by what we consume. It was on the other side of Easter. The other side of Easter, the disciples went fishing. And they came back to the shore and they saw a man standing by a charcoal fire. And some of them know and some of them don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus has decided to make breakfast. Fish and bread. the disciples get off the boat. He says, bring me some fish. He cooks some more and they sit down to eat. And we don't know at all what they talked about while they ate. We only know that once they were filled... Once they had had their breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside. Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord Peter. Do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord Peter. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter is asked three times because he had denied Jesus three times. It happens by a charcoal fire because Peter had denied Jesus by a charcoal fire. He has three chances to redeem himself. Do you really love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. The food by the shore is simple, it is local, it is fresh, and it is only after eating that Peter is in the place to be redeemed. That he can turn back from his wanderings. It is in the call to feed the sheep, the disciples, both literally and figuratively, that Peter becomes who he was meant to be. This story, this moment by the charcoal fire, this breakfast by the sea is a prelude to what we do here whenever we have communion. Because when we commune together, it is just like we are by that seashore with Jesus. As we break bread, we are being warmed by that fire. We are being filled with the bread of life to do the work of God in the world, and we are made light in our willingness to answer that same question. Do you love me? You might not know this, but Jesus was a good Southern boy, and he knew the quickest way to someone's heart is through their belly. There's a vulnerability, strangely enough, that comes with food, with gathering around a table together, because taking the time to eat a meal... Whether simple or complex, to make it and eat it shows a real love for those who receive it. I imagine if I walked out right now and asked you to talk about the most profound moment of your life, a a time of transformation, some of you would tell me a story about a table, about a meal, about a time where your life was changed. And yet, for some reason, eating around a table with others is happening less and less and less. We see our eating of food as just another notch on a checklist of things to do instead of the most important thing we can do. Because this table and this sanctuary, this is not the only place where Jesus is revealed to us in the breaking of bread. This table extends out beyond our sanctuary to our tables at home, to the tables at our restaurants, the meals we eat, the people we eat with, the bread we break. It is all opportunities for Jesus to be revealed to us. And so this week, the challenge, your homework, is to invite someone over for dinner. That's it. Find one person in your life, friend, family member, coworker, stranger, neighbor, I don't care who it is, invite one person over for a meal. And you can make something simple. You can give them cold cuts. Heaven forbid you can make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't care. You can make them a five-course tasting menu. Invite one person to over to your house for a meal. And it might sound overly simplistic, and that, I, my friends, I promise you, that's the whole point. We want everyone to consider how their tables at home are an echo of the table here in our sanctuary, and how gathering at home with food for others is a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven on earth. But I know some of you like extra credit. You want to take it another step. I know some of you need extra credit, and that's for you. So you, you can leave it right there or you can take it one step further and go through all your food. Go through your refrigerator. Go through your freezer. Go through your pantry. Go through that secret drawer of all the sweets. Throw away anything that's expired and look at every other item and really ask yourself, am I going to eat this? Because if the answer is no, one out of every five children will be hungry this year. We throw 40% of our food away. If there is food in your refrigerator or your freezer or your cabinet that is still good that you will not eat, bring it to a food bank. Bring it to a food pantry. Bring it to us. We will bring it to someone. It is absurd that one in five children will go hungry this year. It is absurd that we throw 40% of our food away. So you can invite someone over for a meal. You can take a step forward, go through all of the food in your house, but if you want all the extra credit you can muster, if you want to get that gold star, if you want to be my best friend in this church, I like having lots of best friends. You can invite someone to this table next week to eat. It can be the person you invited over for a meal at your house. Doesn't matter. It can be a friend, a coworker, or a stranger, but if we believe that what we do at this table is the most life-giving and transformative thing we can do as Christians, then why in the world will we not invite someone to come eat with us? This table, the tables upstairs when we have our celebration today, our tables at home, they are just like this one. They are always an opportunity to be warmed by the fire that Jesus has prepared. They are always an opportunity to be filled with the bread of life. They are always an opportunity to hear the question, the question for Peter, and the question for you, and the question for me. Do you love me? So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. (laughs)